0: If it was funny then, it's funny now. Comedy hasn't changed. The people have. This is Funny Like Clown Podcast. I'm your host, Dennis Worth, June 8th, 2021, this is episode 112. Uh, Here to discuss, discuss, he tried to say, comedy legend Mort Sahl. And uh, this is what's cool about Funny Like Clown Podcast, because I got to tell you, I knew little, if anything, about this guy. And uh, studying up to do uh, the podcast for him because we're discussing Astria history of comedy. I'm now a fan of this guy's man because uh, I hadn't heard of him. And now uh, once I find out what he did do in the comedy world, I have become a huge fan. So, hey, let's discuss him and uh, hopefully you become a fan of his too because it's well deserved because here's a guy who paved the way. And anybody paved the way to do what we love to do today, they deserve the recognition. As always, today's episode is brought to you by G-Vegas. Buffalo sauce for the spicy, sweet, savory taste of game time. There's only one G Vegas available at www.gvegas.webs.com. And, uh, Hey man, Buffalo sauce, you know, it's not only for wings. Okay. You can put it on your macaroni and cheese. Okay. You have a good Buffalo macaroni and cheese becoming one of my favorite dishes shortly. Uh, Hey, Buffalo sauce. Wasn't a big thing back in this guy's days. More Sal, but I'm sure today he absolutely loves it. Uh, comic who made fun of current events uh, using improvised monologues and newspapers as props. Uh, Made his uh, debut at the Hungry Nightclub in San Francisco in 1953. Uh, Quickly became popular. Uh, Then he started doing uh, nightclubs all over uh, the country. Uh, Colleges, theater campuses, stuff like that. Theaters. Uh, 1960, uh, first comic to have uh, his story on the cover of Time Magazine. So you imagine me, I mean, first comic I'm going in school, but first comic on the cover of Time Magazine, that's uh, one to put in your pocket right there. Not that I'm a big fan of the magazines, because I can't say I'm a huge fan, but uh, we've all heard of Time Magazine. So love him or hate him, one of the staples of the industry. Uh, did various talk show, uh, TV shows, uh, did some film in various roles, uh, did a one-man show on Broadway, But I guess best known for his political humor broke new ground at the time. So, you know, if you want to look at the Dennis Millers and the Colbert reports and all these great comedy humor shows that are built around the political arena, well, this is the guy who started, okay? This is the guy who made politics a funny thing, okay? Made it a household name. So all the great political humor that we enjoy today this is the guy who broke new ground with it. He's the one who made it a household name and he's the one, I guess you would say invented that style in comedy. So, uh, you know, you may not know him for what he did, but you can know him for what he began. Okay. For what, what what he started and all the people that followed in his footsteps that do it today. This is the guy, uh, known for breaking new ground in the comedy industry. Um, you know, how far would his humor go? As I mentioned, you know, the comics of today are doing, it. he inspired guys like Lenny Bruce, Jonathan Winters, George Carlin, and Woody Allen. You ever heard of those guys? Yeah. Well, this is the guy who inspired all of them to do what they did. So uh, here's the guy, man. Um, even politicians became fan of this guy. Okay, here's a guy making fun of politicians, and politicians became fan of his. He was so good at it. Uh, got the boy JFK, John F. Kennedy. Uh, I was asking him to write jokes for his uh, campaign, you know, uh, speeches and uh you know if you got a president asking you to make some jokes for your campaign speeches that's how big you eventually got in the business uh after jfk's assassination a uh, strange time for the whole world never mind comedy uh he started focusing on the commission into to investigate uh jfk's assassination and uh because of that he lost a lot of his audience because uh you know back then the world wasn't as sensitive as it is today but you know, a lot of people say, well, I, I tried to do political humor a little bit, then I'm big into politics, but I knew, you know, it was big, you know, so many shows do it. And I found out really quick. Okay. You're going to alienate half your audience doing political humor. Okay. Because you know, half the audience is going to love the guy you're making fun of and half the guy's going to hate the guy you're making fun of. So if you are making fun of them, the part hates him. Half your audience is going to love you. If the other half loves them. They're going to hate you because you're making fun of their guy. So real easy to piss off an audience especially nowadays in political humor back then it wasn't so easy but it, you know because people could take a joke back then they're not all politically correct, but uh it, it could be done and i i guess it's because you know the assassination of a president is not something that you really poke fun at and you know this was his guy so what else was he going to do you know you make fun of what you know and that's what he knew uh so his popular decline in the 60s uh 1970s started have a little bit of a comeback uh we're set all the way to 2017. Uh, they did a biography, Last Man Standing, by James Curtis about the guy. So somebody's doing a, you know, a biography or a documentary or something along those lines about you. That shows just how uh, influential and, you know, how how memorable your career was that they want other people. Somebody else wants to document what you did for the field of comedy. So uh, let's say he was born in Canada. Uh, his dad made a move to New York and hopes to be a... Broadway playwriter. So I often said, does it run in the family? Who knows? But uh his dad had hopes of playwriting for Broadway. Uh wasn't too successful there, moved the family to Hollywood. His dad wanted to become a Hollywood writer. Again, wasn't too successful there. So uh well, at high school, uh Saul decided to write for the school newspaper. That was where he got his big break writing for the school newspaper. Uh after school, he joined the military. Uh, Got stationed in Alaska. Uh, While there, he actually started writing uh, articles for a small newspaper. They're actually criticizing the military because I guess he was never into the military structure where, you know, uh, you're a grunt and other people tell you what to do. And, you know, he he had trouble with the whole authority part of it like that. So, uh, you know, you're writing comedy what you know, he was having trouble with uh, the military. So that's what he wrote about. He criticized the military. Uh, I guess he he ended up doing like three months at KP duty, which is like the job everybody hated in there. Well, he had to do the job for three months because I guess they caught him writing these articles the military did. Hey, you want to criticize us? Well, you're still working for us. You're going to pay for that. So He paid the price to do what he loved to do as most of us do in this field. Uh, Let's see. In 1950 to 1953, he uh, tried out for over 30 nightclubs and uh, couldn't get a job. So he's out in L.A. He's trying out all these popular nightclubs. This is my I can't get a welcome to comedy. It's such a a tough business to break into. And uh, nobody give this guy a break. And, you know, I've often said, you know, this, this business is going to kick you down. The people who make it are the people who don't give up. Okay. The where you get kicked down, you get back up, you dust yourself. Up, okay. And you keep going for it. Those are the guys going to make it. Cause if you let other people tell you, you suck, and that's going to affect you one second, you're done in this business. Okay. If you start letting other people run your career, th- this business will chew you up and spit you out. So if you believe in what you do, I don't care how many times you get, you know, you get rejected, you just keep going, and eventually, you're going to find your niche, which this guy finally did, so what a success story that is, and uh, he actually started offering to perform for free during intermissions, okay, he figure, hey, I'll perform for free during intermissions, if that leads to something, maybe that'll lead to getting paid, I mean, this guy, that's called doing anything to get your foot in the door right there, okay, which, you know, a lot of kids starting out, they do open mics, and they offer free comedy shows and the veteran comics are telling them you're hurting comedy. Don't do that, man. You know, we're charging 20 bucks to get in and if you're going to give it away for free. We can't charge 20 bucks to get in. And you know, they think they're coming to see a professional comedy show and they're going to see paying 20 bucks to see an amateur comic. All right, this is comedy. I didn't like it. They don't go back. Where if you go to a professional club, you're paying 20 bucks again. You've seen a professional comic and you're dying to go back because you laughed your ass off. But that's where you're in the catch, and Nobody will give me a break. So what do I do? I got to cut the industry to get my foot in the door. And, and that's how it works, unfortunately. So are uh, you hurting comedy? Maybe. But what else are you going to do if nobody else will give you a break? That's that's your way in the door. You got to do what you got to do. So uh, he couldn't even get a, being paid for free. He once tried out for NBC and NBC told him he would never, ever make it as a comedian to give up. And um I think Eddie Murphy said once that he took last place in every comedy contest he ever did, but he didn't give up. And a lot of people are thankfully didn't because he goes down as one of the iconic comics of all time. So just because somebody else don't think you're funny, don't mean everybody's going to think that way. So, uh, that's one man opinion. Don't have to be yours. Believe in yourself. That's what it takes to make it in comedy. Believe in yourself. Uh, now, here's the one I I found interesting, that it's bad enough if the people you're trying out for, because bookers are tough, they don't want to pay nobody, but we his own friends, I guess, they discouraged him, they said, dude, it ain't working, do something else, I mean, when your own friends are kicking you down and you still choose to do what you love to do, that's really saying something, your friends are supposed to be the ones that support you while everybody else is kicking you down, and your fr- his friends are even telling you, dude, this ain't working out, do something else, man, but... uh I guess uh, nobody gave him a break. Like I said, he had to do what he had to do, did his own thing. Him and his friend opened the own theater. They started doing one-man plays. Uh, It was called... uh nobody trusted the truth and uh i guess they did draw small crowds but uh they didn't draw big enough crowds where it was enough to pay the rent for the theater so i mean i guess it was more they were doing like a coffee house thing where you know he could have made a little bit of money on tips and stuff like that but not enough to pay the rent we in a big time theater so eventually they had to uh close down the theater they couldn't afford to to keep it going but uh out of work, he had no money. Uh, I guess he decided to turn his plays into monologues, okay? Because if you can't do a play where everybody's coming out to see you, you can turn them into a shorter monologue. And, uh, you know, this might change his act and give him a different view in comedy. Um, so apparently he tried out the monologue some more comedy clubs and it didn't catch on either. He just couldn't find his niche at this point. Uh, started dating a woman who uh, suggested he try the San Francisco area. And uh, tried a nightclub down there, which I've heard this happening. I mean, I'm a big Sam Kennison fan. And I know Sam Kennison blew into Boston. And he went to a couple of the more popular clubs. And his style of comedy was so raw and so rude. These are family places, okay? People, they walk the room, you know? People, these families would be so offended. They're out for a family night of comedy, and Kennison's in there going blue comedy and stuff, and he couldn't play the main rooms. So he told him, you know what, go over to Boston. It's this younger crowd. It's a younger club. Go. He went over there, and with the younger crowd, that was where he found his home. He found his niche. So it wasn't that he was funny. It was just the people he was performing to, it wasn't his niche. He wasn't a family comic. He was more of a... The teenager wild comic. so yeah he had to find his gig i guess in san francisco he went down to this club and uh he totally impressed him they hired him i paid him 75 dollars a week which back then that's like 720 bucks a week today's money first paid gig as a comic off and running uh i guess word of his comedy just spread like wildfire throughout san francisco area um he was becoming wildly popular he finally as i said he found his niche and it's not so much you know you know i know bon jovi said that when they finally had their big album was a slipper when everybody bought that album and they said what was it about your music that changed he said you know if you listen to our previous albums they're the same the music didn't change just the times did the times changed where our music was more accepting i think that's what happened to this guy the times changed and his, his humor became more acceptable at that time what he was doing And uh, who was it? Phoebe from Friends. I'd give anything to be, uh, what, not to be appreciated in my own time, I guess. This guy wasn't appreciated in his own time. So uh, later on, he finally got the appreciation it deserved. Uh, He became so popular, I guess some uh, local newspaper or columnist came down and checked him out. They liked him. They started writing in the paper that, um, you know, that that made him a celebrity saying, giving him good reviews here. The newspaper giving you good reviews. All of a sudden, he turned into a celebrity which had a Boston comic on the podcast once that he said, you know, they were performing their friends in little crowds at this Boston nightclub trying to make a go of comedy. Well, one day a newspaper writer came down. He wrote an article about it. And the next week there was a line around the corner after the newspaper guy got involved. So when you can get major media backing you up, that's what's going to put the butts in the seats right there. And that's what happened to this guy. So uh, I guess the newspaper writer, other than writing the articles, giving him good reviews, he was so infatuated by them. Uh, he started inviting some of his celebrity friends you know because this guy is writing articles in the paper for the big the big comedians not just the little ones so uh they invited some of his friends big time comedians come down to see this guy hey you got to see this guy he's new he's fresh he's happening some uh big time comedians down to see him. Uh, i guess then popular comedian eddie Cantor decided he was so funny he was going to take him under his wing and uh eddie started to give the guy a bunch of breaks which uh you know you, you always need somebody up in the business to show you how it works i don't care how funny you are you know i remember i was working with steve sweeney once i was doing the cooking show back then and he's like uh do you have this show patented or anything and i'm a young comic I'm oh, like, what's a patent i don't know what you no, of course you don't he said because that's not something you think of as a young comic once you've been in the business like him long enough and you've done the big stuff you know all the rules and stuff but i didn't have no idea what he was talking about so you know here's a guy you need somebody to take you under the wing steve eventually took me under his wing and this guy took him under his wing uh Became so popular in San Fran that uh, other clubs uh, throughout the country, they started booking them. He went around doing clubs in Chicago, L.A., New York, uh, started to become so popular. You go into these these big cities, these are all the big stars hang out. So celebrities, hey, he's in town, he's in the city, I'm in, I'm going to go out and check this guy out. Celebrities started coming into his shows, and he was starting to be billed as the new phenomena. Because as I said, political humor—this wasn't a thing. Nobody made fun of politics back then. That's not funny. Politics isn't funny. Well, this guy showed you. Hey, politics can be funny. Back then, it was taken seriously. Politics is a serious thing. We don't make fun of politics. Well, he showed you in comedy you can make fun of everything, and you don't have to get offended by it. Uh, where today, everybody's a. You can't say hi, and somebody's offended by it. We say, do you say hi? I'm offended by that. We, well, yeah, you're offended by everything. Yeah, yeah. I'm old school. I'm not offended by anything. But these kids, they're offended by everything nowadays. But. Uh, Becoming the new phenomenon, Steve Allen, the then host of The Tonight Show, um, he said he liked his raw, you know, lack of control improv style where, you know, most comics, they'd work years to hone their art, they'd be, you know, from the second they stepped on stage to the stage to the second they left they were in control of that audience. Okay. I take control. You're going to listen because if you let the audience take control of you, you'll bomb bad. You got to show them you're in charge, whatever happens, you know how to, you know, you've been in the business, you know how to take care of it. So you're in control up there. You're in control of the show where he, he wasn't really in control, but I mean, he was improv enough that style where he could handle any situation that might have arose in a, off-the-cuff style where, you know, most comics, you know, if somebody heckles them, they got five, six routines in the back of their head. They're ready to destroy this guy with the five, six routines that'll destroy him. This guy didn't have any. he just go off the top of his head and start destroying the heckler. So that's how we and, and it, it became a style, you know, where uh, let's see, in 1950s, he was noted for uh, reinventing comedy, so, I mean, here's a guy who changed the game right there, which I haven't said that of Kennison, you know, he's the guy who invented shock comedy. There was dirty comedy before him, but there was never shock comedy. He changed the game. When, he, when Kennison came around, nobody else was doing what he did, and when Marcel came around doing the stuff of politics, nobody else was doing this stuff, man. He reinvented the game, and it was so popular, but, hey, I gotta start doing that because that's what people want, man. Look how successful he is, and that's who you inspire the guys, you know, I was thinking of what with Dick Van Dyke. And he was saying, you know, I was, he's going to get Kennedy center honors here. He's 95 and still performing well-earned Kennedy center honors, less than 200 people have been given Kennedy center honors. That shows you how big of a deal it was. And he even said, you know, a lot of the stuff he did, he took from Laurel and Hardy. He's like, I was just passing on what I learned from them and other comics, you know, they take from me and they pass them on, you know, so it's not so much stealing. If it's a style, it's just, Hey, I like what you're doing. And you know, I like Sam Kennison, and that's the style that I go on. So uh, he passed it on to me, and Mort Sally was passing on the political humor to the great humorists of our time. Um, After he was known for reinventing comedy in the 50s, here's one for you. In 1956, they decided to put him on the most popular comedy show of the time, NBC's Comedy Hour. And can you imagine years later... NBC telling you get out of here you'll never make it in the business then years later they're putting them on their most famous television comedy show of the time he must have walked in there like yeah yeah who's ready to kiss my ass okay I'll never make it in the comedy business now I'm on your most popular show thank you NBC and those are the moments you live for in comedy so I remember I did that. I remember it was like a big club that I played and I walked in there and I was so nervous. I bombed and I was so mad at myself. And years later I got a chance to perform. I was so pissed off. I walked in there and I just crushed the room and it was such a satisfying feeling that, you know, I just crushed at The room I had previously bombed in. And you know, so this must've been an incredible moment walking into NBC after them telling me never make it and being one of the most popular comics at the time. Um, He stayed current. That was the thing, because, you know, on a local level, I experienced that, you know, I worked out maybe, you know, 45 minutes to an hour of comedy where I knew I could get a laugh. Okay, but it it was to the point I'm in central Massachusetts. There's only so many people in central mass. And after a while, it was like, yeah, we heard this one. It's funny, but we've heard it 100 times. And, you know, you you can't write as many jokes as you have shows, okay? You got to do the same material because you couldn't possibly write enough jokes and try them out and see what works and what don't and save the ones for as busy as your schedule is. So it got to the point where, yeah, it was funny, but, man, we've heard it. You know, this guy, he was staying fresh by each day. He'd pull a newspaper, and there's a new, news, new story in the newspaper, and that was the subject, okay? So... That was why he stayed fresh, because he never did the same routine twice. Whatever was in the paper, that was what he was making fun of that day. So that's a way to currently keep yourself fresh by somebody else was giving you the subject. All you had to do was make it funny. You didn't have to create it. So that was an ingenious way by using the newspaper to change his act. And that kept him current. How's this? Okay, now, as many comedy albums as we listen to and. They don't put out comedy albums anymore because, you know, as I, as I mentioned before, with the free downloading, you can't make any money on it. Uh, it's comedy specials, the Netflix or the Comedy Central. That's what they put out. But you do those for free because the second they put them out, like I said, it's bootleg. But you make up for it on your tour where before you charge 10 bucks for a tour ticket, and 10 bucks for your comedy album. Well, now you give a free comedy album, but you charge 20 bucks for the tour and that's how you make up for it right there. But comedy albums, we all grew up. What was the great album you grew up laughing to? The one you had to hide from your parents under your pillow. Hopefully. But when they weren't around, you listened to it and laughed your ass off. I remember Cheech and Chong's greatest hit. Uh, that was one of the great, Eddie Murphy's, Delirious. I mean, uh, these were all stuff. Uh, Andrew Dice Clay's, the Sam Kennisons. But Mort Sal was actually the first guy ever to make a comedy album, so. Can you imagine me, the first guy ever? I mean, plenty of music albums. He was the first guy who decided to take comedy and put that on an album. and To be the first to do anything, that's quite the uh, thing. It was called At Sunset, first comedy album ever created, and went on to, you know, a good comedy album, became the thing, man. Okay, so, but he was the first. Be the first to do anything. He was the first to do colleges, too. You know, most people back then, it was, you know, you played the local theater, you played the local club, nobody even thought about playing colleges. Well, this guy did. He went to the young audience. He brought the young audience in. Started playing colleges. Now today, that's a thing. You go and play the local colleges. You know, I mean, that's tours they do today. College tours and all the big comics do. But again, this guy was the first, first to win a Grammy in comedy. Okay, and. I was actually lucky enough, I went to visit, uh, I got to visit Sam Kennison's brother, Bill, and he pulled out Sam Kennison's Grammy Award, and I held, the how many people can even say they've held a Grammy Award? I've held a Grammy Award, and Sam Kennison's Grammy Award, well, Mort Sal, first comedian to ever win a Grammy, and that's saying something right there, man. Um... You know, he was huge uh, through the 50s. Like I said, nobody was getting correct. And as I said, where the time started to change, where they accepted his humor, by the 60s, the time started to change where they weren't accepting his humor, because that's when the 60s, that's when people became politically correct with the Vietnam War and politics. And it, it became a big uh, hot point like it is today, where everything, everybody's offended by everything. You see the protests, the march. So, I mean, this was killing his comedy because what he could previously make fun of and everybody thought was a joke, all of a sudden people are getting pissed off at it because the world became politically correct and his populator really got declined where... uh... You know, the people who loved Zach before now they'd be politically correct. You'd have these kids in the audience who, instead of taking it as a joke, they'd start heckling them, telling you, that's not factually true. You know, I'm telling a fucking joke up here. It's not supposed to be factually true, you fucking moron. You're at a comedy show, go to a political fucking convention or something. But that's what these kids do now. They got to bring their political correctness everywhere and they got to bring it into comedy too. Um... Yeah, his audience has declined so bad. He went to uh, Broadway and he tried to do some stuff there. That wasn't a success. So he wasn't pulling any big crowds. Uh, Woody Allen went to see him perform, which uh, years ago, when he was at the top of his game, Woody was a fan of his. He was inspired by Mort. And uh, Woody saw him perform for a small crowd and approached him after the show. And he's like, dude, you're a genius. This isn't right. So uh, Woody Allen called up his uh, then manager and told this guy, hey, this guy's a genius. We got to help him out. Brought him to New York where Woody Allen is a legend. Uh, and he started putting him in front of, uh, packed houses. Uh, so there he performed, you know, as long as he wanted to in front of packed houses. So that's why I say, you know, you never, who, you know, you never, who you're going to inspire. So which happens, I've seen one on the big bang theory. They had Bob Newhart on as a guest, because he's such a legend. These young kids can't wait to work with him, you know, and, uh, I'm I'm putting out a movie uh, coming up. I don't want to let too much out where uh, it's called the world needs a new superhero. It's going to be on Amazon prime. Uh, Should be done by the end of the summer, but uh, some of my heroes that grew up in comedy, wink, wink, might just be in the movie. I'm going to give too much away, but uh, you'll have to see it to find out. But uh, sure. There's all the guys I dreamed of working with. Why not bring them in my movie just like that? Because they're the legends and uh, Mort Sahl, what a legend of comedy. First to bring us political humor and imagine what we would have been robbed of all the political humor today that we wouldn't have seen if it wasn't for this guy breaking new ground, Uh, the Lenny Bruce's, the George Carlin's who, who got arrested after Mort Sal for for doing what he started and uh, political humor, uh, which turned to the Freedom of Speech Act and you know, just uh, turned into the big all the big news TV shows that we watch today that combine humor and politics, which the presidents go on these shows. Now that's how big they've become. Well, this guy started it all. Hey, I'm going to turn politics, which was then a serious thing into a funny thing, which goes to show you anything can be funny. Don't get offended. It's not meant to be correct. It's not meant to be. It's just meant to be funny. Okay. And we all need that break. If we take away comedy and the break that we have from reality and we try to make comedy reality too what break do we have in life we have no break then you need comedy laughter is the best medicine so give somebody a break tell them a joke this week put some laughter into their life because laughter is the best medicine and uh hey maybe you'll start something at work you tell everybody a joke at work and that joke runs like wildfire they tell all their friends and their friends tell all their friends and your one joke you started it becomes a wildfire. Everybody's laughing. Keep them laughing. That's what comedy's all about. This is Funny.Com like podcast. I'm your host, Dennis Worth. Tell your friends. Tell your neighbors. We're exploring the history of comedy here, and what a fun time we're having, learning new things about business, and learning about uh, the thing we all love to do, and that's laugh, folks. Keep laughing until next week. I'll be laughing. How about you?